if you look very carefully, the insert in the bulletin says agenda. That's what we're going to cover two weeks from to now. That is not your ballot. There's no way for you to sign it. So two weeks from now, we will actually give you a ballot to sign. So you can't sign them. And look me in the eyes just for a moment. Husbands and wives, you each have to do your own ballot. Okay? You're not allowed to do, oh, both of us here. That's illegal. And so you will be thrown out of this church if you do that illegally. <laughs> so that's just the agenda, okay? That's just, what? What's your question again? If your name's on the ballot, you vote as well. Yes. Um, and that's based on a biblical thing. If anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a good thing. So it's, you do vote, even if your name's on the ballot. You just can't vote against yourself on the ballot. That's all. <laughs> that's two weeks from now. Let's pray. Okay, Father God, we thank you for the way in which if we let you, you change our lives. But not only us. If we let you, you change the world around us. And I pray that you'd help us to grasp hold of that today. In Christ's name, amen. Several years ago, I had a, a sales territory on the east coast of the United States. And my clients, my customers, were well spread out. So I spent a lot of time on the road. And while I was on the road, I got bored. So I started to listen to talk radio. And at first, it was entertaining and very informative. So I was listening to all these talk radio people, and of course you know what talk radio was like, and is still like politics, 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 politics. But as I was listening to talk radio, I noticed something happening to me. I was becoming very self-righteously angry. And that anger was building in me day after day, and it was just weird. I'd get home, and I would be all stirred up, and I would all be angry, and I would have this th thought inside of me, the self-righteous anger inside of me. I know how to run this country. <laughs> I still do, but I'm not so self-righteous. <laughs> I've learned to be humble. But I found that what was happening is I listened to, to the talk radio, it was reaching down into my subconscious and stirring an anger there and building upon that anger and making it stronger and stronger. There's actually a, a word that describes why it found that anger inside of me. It's called pre-reflective. That below the surface of our conscious thinking, there's pre-reflective attitudes and, and beliefs that reside there that don't necessarily surface in us all the time until something causes them to surface. For example, right now, your heart is beating. And your heart is beating because your brain is telling it to beat. But you have not, you're, you're totally unconscious of that, right? You're not saying beat, beat. You know, some of you are going beat, 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 beat. You know, you're not actually having to tell your heart to beat because it's in the pre-conscious level of your brain that there are these, these, these signals that are being sent. Well, what happens is that when we're born, we're born as rebels against God. And as we grow, the operating system on the inside of our brains absorbs more and more hostility against God from the world and from the devil and absorbs more and more of this hostility and this anger that resides down below the surface. And it becomes the operating system of an ordinary human being. Hatred of God, hatred of God's things, part of that. And part of it is anger that resides in the depths of us. And so James is going to use the word wisdom in the passage we're going to study. 
I'm using the word operating system just for us to understand the difference, okay? And he's going to use wisdom in two different ways. One, wisdom that comes from God. The other, the wisdom that comes from Satan. And you'll notice in our translation, when it speaks of the wisdom that comes from Satan, it's put in quotation marks because it's not really wisdom. And so that's why I look for the operating system. If you have a smartphone, your phone has an operating system inside of it. And that operating system never reveals itself, but it's there. So if you want to find one of your contacts, the operating system will help you find it. If you want to find out what the date is, your operating system will help you find it. If you want to watch a movie, the operating system will help you watch a movie. You know what's weird? If you want to make a phone call, your phone may do that too. Isn't that weird that it started its life as a phone, now it does everything, and you go, how am I going to call? Oh, maybe there's a phone in here as well. So every electronic device has an operating system on the inside of it. And we're born with an operating system that is in rebellion against God. And then it's already corrupted, and as life goes along, that corrupted operating system begins to get more and more corrupted. And it stays that way until you become a believer in Jesus Christ. And when you do, he puts his spirit inside of you. And now you have another operating system resident inside of you. But that operating system has to be cultivated and grown. And what God wants us to do is to switch operating systems. I asked you earlier, you're a Mac or a PC person. Remember, it used to be that, I mean, there was a big debate whether you're a Mac or PC. And some of you are still pretty passionate about whether you're a Mac or a PC person. There's actually a computer you can buy that will run both operating systems. And in a sense, we're like that computer. We have both operating systems inside of us. The operating system that came from the devil and the operating system that comes from the spirit. And both those operating systems are within us. And as James was writing a letter to the early church, he had to help them now begin to understand that this is a new world that you're living in. And what was clearly happening in this church was that there was a lot of competitiveness, a lot of, of political infighting. There was a lot of, of, of actual arguing and, and fighting among the members of the church. And so James wrote to them in order to get them to understand, you need to switch. You need to change. You need to start responding to the spirit rather than responding to Satan's operating system within you. In case you fall asleep, you need to understand they did it. What was absolutely astonishing is how those early churches, as they read these letters and the other letters from Paul, as they read the instructions to switch operating systems to the operating system of the Holy Spirit, they did it. And for three centuries, Christianity spread like crazy, even though you could lose your, your job, even though you could lose your family, even though you could lose your life. Christianity spread and spread and spread, so much so that by the fourth century, the emperor, when he declared Christianity to be the state religion, was just simply surrendering. They had completely saturated the Roman Empire, and they did it by doing what the Scriptures say. Now, as we read it, you're going to be going, oh, right, who's going to live like that? They did. And because they did, they changed the world. And so one thing that the Spirit of God did was he concluded these instructions in the Bible for us as well. And God summons us to make sure that we switch to the operating system of the Spirit of God. And he uses the word wisdom. Um, I love Dallas Willard came up with the best, I think, description of what wisdom is. Wisdom means to live my life as Jesus would live it if Jesus were me. Isn't that a great way to understand what wisdom is? Now, because his spirit lives in us, we can modify this just a little bit. 
It means to live my life as Jesus would live it since Jesus is in me. The Spirit of God is within us, and he can change our lives, and he did. The early believers changed, and as a result, they changed the world around them. And I'm going to reorganize James just a little bit in order to separate the two operating systems. And what he does is he warns them that they are functioning as local churches. They're letting the devil's operating system govern them. He starts it by speaking about the Spirit's operating system. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That's where he wants us to go. He says, but you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Bitter envy means I want to tear somebody else down. And selfish ambition is I want to build myself up. And so what was happening, and you go, come on, this was happening in a church? I can't believe that. Churches don't have power problems. Churches don't have conflict in them, do they? No, not at all. Come on. All throughout time, you watch that these sort of things happen. I was invited by a friend to become the associate pastor of his church several years ago. And I was a missionary at that time, being supported by his church. It was a wonderful church. And it was like, yeah, oh my gosh, yes, I would love to be your associate pastor. And because they knew me as a missionary, the board immediately approved me to become the associate pastor at the church. But a week later, he called me back and said, I've got a better idea. He said, why don't you come as the senior pastor because I want to become just the associate pastor. I want to step down and become just a teaching pastor. Would you consider that? I said, all right, let me pray about it. Mm, Okay, yes, I will do that. (laughs) So he took that to his board and the board approved it right away. There was one man who was not present at that board meeting. And so he called an emergency board meeting. And when they had the board gathered together, he said to the board, to the pastor, he said to him, you don't want to be our senior pastor anymore? And the guy said, no, that's not what I'm saying. He said, no, 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 no. You don't want to be our senior pastor anymore? And the guy said, well, no, no, that's what I'm saying. He said, wait, you don't want to be our senior pastor anymore. Is that true? And the guy said, well, yes, but he said, okay, you're fired. And at that moment, they fired him. The church board split and the church split. A wonderful, big, marvelous church split clean down the middle. And to this day, as far as I know, never recovered. An incredibly wonderful, lovely church. One man's political power. One man's uh, ability to do that authority. And here's the thing. The rest of the elders went quiet. They became submissive. And they just let him run the church. Paul says, James says, hey, watch out. That there may be bitter envy. People want to tear others down. And selfish ambition that may show up in the life of a church. Be aware that when you do that, you're allowing the wisdom of Satan to govern you. Notice that. He says it's earthly. And earthly means related to our psyche, related to who we are when we're first born. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's not of God, and it's demonic. It's interesting, as you read through the book of James, it's the first time the devil shows up. And it's not, James never excuses us for bad behavior. It's just at this point in time, he introduces the devil into the picture. And he says, and understand that when you're governed like this way, when you're behaving this way, what you have is something demonic governing your lives. We're going to come back to this in a couple of weeks' time, but understand this, that if you're a believer, the devil cannot control your life unless you let him. If you're a believer, the devil cannot take full possession of you because the Spirit of God owns you. But the devil can get in 
And the devil can influence your life if you let him come in. And he comes in through anger. Isn't that interesting? That one of the key ways the Bible says that if you do, if you let the, do not let the sun set on your anger, the Bible says, because by doing so, you let the devil have a foothold into your life. And so James is warning the church, okay, watch out. That the minute you're beginning to jockey for position and the minute you're, you're starting to, 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 to get, try and get power, do not boast about it. Do not deny the truth. Face the reality of what you're doing. It says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. What kinds? Well, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, remember, he's writing to Christians. And is there a word in there that sort of set off an alarm bell in you? That you're going, nah, nah, we wouldn't do that. Kill? Would we kill in order to get our own way in the life of a church? Well, remember, Jesus expanded what kill meant, what murder means. It means to assassinate the character of somebody else. It means to hate your brother. And so perhaps James is just using it in that sense. But I think he's also warning us, understand that if you allow your old nature to govern you, if you allow this, this, this operating system that you are born with, you've got the potential to do unbelievable damage to other people. And he uses the word desires, which is the word from which we get hedonism. hedonism. It's the playboy philosophy. And he's saying some of you are, are, will cause trouble because you want power. Some of you will cause trouble because you want your own way. You want to feel good. And so you will cause trouble just because you're letting your own passions govern you at a time like this. And he says, and that's what leads to this kind of fights and quarrels. By the way, fights and quarrels are different. The fights refer to the entire war. Quarrels are the individual little fights that happen in the life of a church. And James is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's writing to churches. And he's warning us that we've got the potential to let this old system operate and it will do all kinds of damage. By the way, notice, the damage that he speaks about here is always relational. It's relationships with other people that are damaged through this kind of activity. And then he says something interesting. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. There's, half of that is kind of good to know. Sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. I'm sure you've heard that story of the guy who dies and goes to heaven and when he gets to heaven, God says, oh, come on, let me show you. Here's, here's, here's what, what you got when you ask God for prayer. Let's just review for you. Here's all the stuff you got. And they go into this little shed and he looks at all the stuff that he got when he asked God for it. But then he looks at it on that side and he says these rows and rows and rows of storage containers. And he says, what's in there? It's all the stuff you would have had if you just asked God. <laughs> We're told over and over in the scriptures that we are to pray and to believe in God and trust him and then ask him for the answers to, to answer our, our, our needs. But we're always told this. You don't want to ask to spend it on your pleasures. I even tried changing from wanting a Porsche to wanting an Audi and it didn't work. <laughs> I don't know why. It just, just doesn't work that way. Sometimes God says, no, because I'm not going to give you what you're asking for because you want it for your own pleasures. He always says, Jesus said, if you ask for anything in my name, the Father will do it. So asking for something in the, in, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
limits what we're going to be asking for, but it does say ask. And so one thing I'm going to ask us to as a church keep doing, we're surrounded by a generation of people who don't know Jesus yet. We started a Sunday evening service to try and reach people of the coming generations. Pray that God will give us the ways to do that and give us the opportunity of being able to see a harvest coming in of people of all ages who are coming in. So pray about that. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then he says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And the word world there means the world system as contaminated by Satan. Understand this. Satan's goal is to destroy human life. And he will do anything he can to destroy human life. And that's why he's created so many other religions. He, it's not that he wants them to worship him. could care less. He wants to destroy them. And when you buy into the world system and you live that way, understand that you've become an enemy of God. And sometimes I'm astonished by myself at the way in which I will buy into the world's way of thinking and the world, what, enjoy, what the world enjoys and how easily I'll go there. And he's saying, don't do that. Understand that when you're doing that, you're being adulterous. The Old Testament, God's people were called his wife. In the New Testament, and I don't know why it goes in reverse, we're called the bride of Christ. And when we give our allegiance to anything that is opposed to God, we are at that point in time becoming adulterous in our value system. A few years ago, I did a, a, a wedding for a family, and uh, the, 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 the girls all decided that they were going to go for the, what do they call it when they have a, a bachelorette. bachelorette party? And they, they said, and we're going to Las Vegas. And I've got to tell you that a little alarm bell went off inside of me. Really? Your bachelorette party, your Christian women... You're going to be having a church service and you're going to Las Vegas. Be careful. They weren't. They weren't. And they came back after having committed adultery or after having gotten drunk and it split their wedding party. It was so sad to see that that wedding didn't feature all the bridesmaids that had been planned because of what happened to them during that weekend. What happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. It follows you the rest of your life. Okay? And what happens in the world doesn't stay in the world. It follows us into our lives. And so what he's telling us, listen, understand that when you choose to, to give your allegiance and your love and, and you allow the world to govern you, you're being adulterous. You're being somebody who's aligned yourself with God's opponents, with his enemies. What do you think the scripture says without reason? that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. This is one of the most difficult passages to understand. What? It just basically says God will not let us give allegiance to anybody else. Okay? He's put his spirit within us, and God is a jealous God in that he expects us to remain faithful to him in what we watch, what we read, where we go, how we live. He wants us to be faithful. Why? Because he's a jealous God. Why is he jealous? Because he's protecting us. He's wanting to make sure that we are kept in a place of safety and we're kept in a place of purity. And that's why he is jealous to protect us. But he gives more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
That's an astounding statement. Because at that point in time, there may be somebody in that church as they're reading this and they're hearing this read to them. Somebody's filled with, oh my gosh, oh, I've been aligning myself as an enemy of God. Oh, I've been living wrong. What do I do now? He gives more grace. God says, okay, understand, you're not lost. You're not completely cut off. I'm going to give you more grace. And all I need you to do is humble yourself. And remember, humble doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. To be humble means that you think about yourself less. See the difference? Humble doesn't mean that you denigrate yourself, that you cut yourself down and I've got to become a worm. Humble never means that. It just means that you take your eyes off of yourself and quit being so full of yourself. And he says, so, now look to me so that I can do it. Here's why that's important. Sometimes people cannot accept God's forgiveness because they think of themselves more than they should. Oh, I wouldn't do that. I didn't do that. No, no, I'm better than that. It's like, no, you did do it. Now confess it, let God cleanse you, and move on from there. So, James is writing to people, and partly it's, it's their brand new, brand new Christians. They haven't been taught yet. They haven't been led fully to where they should be living, and they're just letting their old human operating system govern their lives. And James says, don't live this way. Then he switches gears and he says, now, let me tell you how to live according to the Spirit's operating system. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. In the previous section, James warns that we can do so much damage with our tongues. Remember that? And he also warns them that many of you should not want to become teachers, my brothers, because you're going to face a more severe judgment. And when, you, when he says who is wise, he's talking to the teachers. He's talking to the leaders, and he says, all right, you're saying you're, you're wise and you're understanding? Well, then how will we know if you genuinely are speaking from God? Let them show it by the good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And one of the problems that they faced in the early church, which we still face in every generation, are the leaders became arrogant. They be, that's the opposite of humility. They become full of themselves and, be, and became people who were powerfully trying to govern and lead the lives of other people. And he says, uh -uh. if you're truly functioning from God's wisdom, what's going to happen is it will be revealed in your life by good deeds. We'll come back to that in the humility that comes from wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, pure. The motives are right. The motives are good. I remember in a, in a very contentious church meeting we had once, one of the men accused one of my staff members of doing something wrong, and my staff member stopped him dead. And he said, excuse me, sir, what I did you may disagree with. Maybe it was wrong, but you have no idea what motivated me to do it. You cannot attack me because you don't understand my motives, and my motive was pure. And I was like, yeah. That's true. You sure did make a stupid choice. But your motive was pure. You were, you were doing it from the right motivation. Peace-loving. Okay, now, the minute he's speaking to these people, they're Jewish. What's the Jewish word for peace? Shalom. Okay. Now, it's important we grasp hold of that. Most of these leader, readers in this, in this state case are, are Jewish people. When they hear peace, they hear shalom. And when they hear shalom, they don't hear just the cessation of hostility. They hear a whole lot more. 
When you said shalom to somebody, you weren't just saying, may you feel, may you have a life where there's no hostility. You were saying, may you have a life that is filled with the best possible relationships you could long for. May you have a life in which you know love and you know faithfulness and you have the deep, deep satisfaction of living in peaceful relationships with everybody you've got. Do you see what peace was for them? And so it's peace loving. We're told by, in the Bible, by the way, to be peace makers. Not peace keepers, and certainly not peace breakers. Everybody can do a peace breaker. Sometimes we're peace keepers, and a peace keeper avoids the truth just to keep the peace. You don't have peace then. All you've got is, is, a, is, a, is an imitation of it. A peacemaker, a peace lover, is somebody who moves toward that, who deliberately moves into the lives of other people to bring that kind of love of God into their lives and into their relationships. Considerate means I will think. I, I'm, not, I'm, not just, I'm not locked into my way of thinking. I'm, I will consider other things. Submissive means I will lift you up. Submit does not mean to lower yourself. It's a, it's a, a military term. By the way, all of these terms came from their political world at that day. Submissive does not mean I lower myself. It's a military term which means I rank you above me. That's what submissive means. Full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. You know where the word sincere comes from? It comes from Latin. And it came from two words, sine sera, which means without wax. In those days when, when, when merchants were selling pottery, they wanted you to know this pot is absolutely pure. It has no cracks in it. It is sine sera, without wax. What unscrupulous merchants would do is if one of them cracked, they would fill it with wax and then cover it and glaze it so that it looked as if it was pure, and it wasn't. It had wax. Sincere means the genuine article. It's the most wonderful thing when you meet a believer who is the genuine article, who's real to the core. We had a, a woman sang with our church several years ago, and she was beautiful, and she had a beautiful voice, and she was the real deal. She was a genuine believer in Christ. And it was so wonderful because she could lead us in worship because we knew she was worshiping. There was a sincerity in her that was just, you, you could see it. And he says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, you've got to understand that that's exactly what happened. As the church members began to live by the Spirit's operating system, they began to change the world around them. And they began to bring in a harvest of righteousness. More and more people were being won to Jesus Christ. More and more people's lives were being transformed. And as they were doing this, as they were living this way, they were spreading it across the world. There's an interesting story, and I checked on it this morning to do a follow-up on it to see what happened. Murder in Colombia was so high in the 1990s that in, in Medellin, oh no, in Colombia, 80 Colombians a day died a violent death. Listen to this, and this is from World Magazine. If you guys don't get World Magazine, you need to go find it and get it. It's a wonderful Christian publication that deals with the hard stuff of, 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 of life, deals with politics, deals with all kinds of life from a Christian perspective. It's an incredible magazine. I'll, I'll bring one and leave it here so you can see it. But World Magazine reported this. The Bella Vista prison in Medellin, Medellin 
is a case in point. The prison holds 2,500 inmates, among them hundreds of professional killers. At one time, two inmates a day were murdered on an average day, and as many as 20 in one day. But then in 1985, evangelical pastor Oscar Osorio began preaching in Bella Vista prison. When he did so, he was the only outsider that dared venture inside the prison. Today, more than 300 inmates profess faith in Christ, and since 1990, the killing has stopped. No prisoner has died or even been wounded in a violent assault. The transformation within the prison has been so remarkable that it has caused the caught the attention of the national media. Converted sicarios, which are professional killers, have testified on television of their spiritual transformations. Prison Fellowship went in there. Another ministry also went into this prison. And they got to the place where, in the year 2004, the prisoners formed a radio program where they began to preach the gospel from the prison to the rest of the nation. And then many of the prisoners who were released from prison went out into the city and started to work with drug rehabilitation, to, to deal with, um, uh, to work in churches and begin to start ministries to ministering to others. And that started with one man preaching the gospel and people becoming saved and a harvest of righteousness began to spread from there. And that's simply because the early church said, okay, this is the way God wants us to live. We're going to do it. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a most astounding testimony to the fact of what they did? So, Bill Fink, I won't, I won't embarrass you by having you wave, wave your hand. Would you just stand quickly and then sit again? Okay. Take a look, Bill Fink. Okay. Bill is one of the leaders in a ministry at uh, Donovan State Prison called Kairos. And in time, we're going to be inviting you to go with us, to, men, to go into Donovan State Prison to do the Kairos ministry. It is, I've been once, and it was a weekend that changed my life. And the men that I've been with, some of them go back all the time. I'm, I'm thinking of Bruce, he goes back all the time. Guys who went in and had that experience of being in an insanely dangerous situation and seeing God work in the lives of people. One of the, the men I was sitting next to me, <laughs> he was a young guy in prison for life for murder. You're not allowed to ask them, by the way. But he told me he was in for murder. And so while we're sitting chatting, he asked me, he said, were you scared when you came in here? I said, yeah, were you? And I meant when you came into prison, but he misunderstood what I was saying. I said, were you? He said, yeah, I've never been to a church thing before. <laughs> <laughs> and during that weekend, we saw guys put their faith in Jesus Christ. If you go with Bill, just be warned. He's dangerous. Okay, you want to be careful around Bill. There was one man in there who was a, a, he'd been in prison for murder and he committed murder when he was in prison. And one of the closing ceremonies is we all write the name of somebody, on a, the name of somebody we need to forgive on a piece of paper. And then we'd stand in line and we'd drop the piece of paper into water and it would dissolve. So we're standing in line to drop those names and Bill goes up to the, behind the guy who's a double murderer and he says to him, excuse me, did I spell your name right? <laughs> So just be careful if you go anywhere near Bill when you do it. But during that weekend, I saw what to me was astonishing, was to see how the Spirit of God moved into the lives of people. There was one man, when, when we first went in, there was one uh, Hispanic man that everybody who came in, 
would first go, who were Hispanic, would go to him and speak to him. It was almost like he was the godfather. And he sat there cold as ice. What do we go? Thursday night, right? Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, cold as ice. That man just sat there cold as ice. And on Sunday morning, at one point, I suddenly saw his head drop back and tears came streaming down his face. And I see, I'm getting cold chills as I think about it now. When God's people live God's way and are willing to go and place themselves in the world as it is and not live like the world, but live like God's people, the world can be changed around us. So James is saying, what's governing my life? What's my paradigm? Is it God's or the devil's? Am I somebody who's looking for power or for peacemaking? And the passions that govern my life, are they the world's or are they the spirit's? Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God never gives us a command without giving us the resources. And Jesus said, I've overcome the world. The world cannot win, the world will not win because I've already overcome the world. And John, 1 John says, my dear children, from God, and have overcome them, and overcome them in this context is the world, evil spirits, false prophets, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We can live the way God wants us to because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Which operating system is governing my life? Apple had an interesting bumper sticker years ago. It said this, changing the world one person at a time. And you and I have that power. That we can, if we're, if we're filled with the Spirit of God, we can begin to bring in a harvest of righteousness when we switch our operating systems. Let's pray together. Remember what James said, he gives more grace. And so if there's something you've been doing in your own lifestyle, in your thinking, the way you live, just confess it.